You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Karuchak, your host this week, alternating weeks with my partner in crime, Dr. Hal Schertz, whom you heard last week. Um, this week, we will continue to bring you the guests and guest interviews from our DPC 3.0 meeting, Direct Primary Care 3.0, held in Orlando, Florida, last November. Uh, we have a huge amount of material that we got from uh, interviewing lots of folks, both attendees of the meeting and uh, lecturers uh, from the meeting itself, from the program itself. So we will continue to bring those. Um, I also bring an apology here at the top of the show. I promised you a few weeks ago I wasn't going to do any more reruns, but a combination of some time out of town plus uh, a horrible case of what sure felt like the flu, although my flu test was negative, but it kind of wiped out uh, my ability to do a show last go-around and also wiped out my ability to do something a bit more ambitious uh, those of you who are regular listeners of uh, my shows know that whenever the State of the Union comes out, we do a piece on what was in the State of the Union with regard to health care. And those of you who listen to it who are familiar with it know that there was a section in there that Donald Trump presented on health. And we are going to get to that. Uh, it's part of a more ambitious project that I hope to have for you uh, two weeks from today. We'll see. Uh, but for today, we have uh, a, a couple of uh, different guests. Uh, first, we'll present the interview of uh, one Dr. Leah Houston, um, who is an expert on blockchain, uh, something uh, somewhat more near and dear to my heart because of its involvement with health information technology. And then a very interesting story from one Dr. Shenery Cotter, who is a physician from Florida, primary care from Florida, who was really ready to completely give up medicine. She was completely depressed about the whole thing and then discovered direct primary care uh, and managed to rescue herself and now is far happier in a direct primary care uh, situation than she was before. But we'll lead off with um, uh, Leah Houston talking about blockchain. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge, continuing on our road trip from Atlanta to Orlando, Florida for DPC 3.0, our third annual direct primary care meeting. And uh, we have a new guest on the show, uh, Leah Houston, um, that we've gotten to reach out to each other a little bit on social media, so I'm delighted that you're here. I'm also delighted that I get a chance to talk about my bailing wick in this whole thing, which is uh, information technology. And so if some of you may remember from months ago, we did a show on blockchain technology, which is kind of a complicated thing to get your arms around. So uh, Leah's going to help us take another shot at it here and, and sort of talk about some of the things that she's doing with it. So, Miss Leah, it's all yours. Hi. Um, I'm so glad to be here, and I was so glad to find the DPC movement when I started working on this project because it's really an amazing way for physicians to be the people that they wanted to be when they started practicing medicine and untether themselves from this, you know, really oppressive system that we've uh, unfortunately been stuck with. Indeed. So um, why don't you, whatever you want to do, we can talk about your explanation of how blockchain works because they've heard mine and it's mm -hmm. probably not as good as yours. Um, so and, and as a doc and knowing this stuff, you know, that's, there aren't too many of us around. So 
whatever you want to do. You want to take a shot at explaining blockchain? Sure. You want to talk about the projects and some I of I can talk stuff? about yeah. both at the same time if, if, um, if you Perfect. want. You know, so yes. essentially blockchain technology is about disintermediation for the need for a trusted third party in any type of transaction. And it's also about having an immutable ledger. So you can have an immutable ledger of transactions with digital money, like cryptocurrency, where um, you can have the need for disintermediation from the banks. Uh-huh. You can have peer-to-peer payments. Um, or you can have an immutable ledger of a conversation between two people um, and not have the need for, and you can disintermediate the need for a social media platform. So, you know, if anybody uses any of the social media platforms, you know that you can be muted. You can be deleted. That's because yes. if they are a third party. So, With unchecked authority over that whole process. Right. And so third parties in the healthcare system, you know, we think about electronic health records. That's a third party that we have been convinced that we need in order to communicate uh, with our patients. And we've also been forced to use it with the, um, you know, the uh, High Tech Act of 2009 that has been, you know, grossly underperforming and making our lives hard. And we have the insurance companies, which are the uh, third parties that the patients have been convinced they need in order to get health care, which we all know that it, it doesn't really provide uh, value, especially when you can compare it to the DPC movement that, you know, we've been experiencing. So, you know, because blockchain is about disintermediation for the need for a trusted third party, it's a perfect use case for for disintermediating healthcare and dis, and um, decentralizing healthcare. Okay, so let's let's unpack some of those concepts a yes. little bit because this is hard even for me to get my arms around. So we got to get the docs and the other audience members sort of on board with this. It comes down to the ledger as I understand it and don't hesitate to correct me if I get this wrong. The one would think intuitively that the ledger would be where the third party falls, right? If you're communicating on Facebook, Facebook is the ledger where you post things, Bingo. I read them, we communicate. But there's only one copy right. of the ledger. Yes. So imagine then a version of Facebook that had no Facebook where I had a copy of the ledger. If you and I are communicating on Facebook Messenger, mm-hmm. I have a copy of the ledger, you have a copy of the ledger, Potentially, lots of other people have a copy of the ledger, so you don't need a third party to keep the copy of the ledger. Right. There's multiple copies of the ledger. Am I am I close? You're absolutely correct, and you're getting a little bit into the tech of, of why the disintermediation is possible with this technology. Right. Because if you have multiple copies, if everybody can see what's gone on, then to try to change it or cook the books is impossible because you can't cook all the books at once. Right. And so that's why, you know, from a transaction standpoint, if everybody has a, a copy of the transactional ledger, when you make a change on a blockchain, then that block no longer is valid because you need every previous block's existence in order to make a new block. So if there's a new block that doesn't match all of the other copies, that block is abandoned. And that's what makes it a, a secure technology. Right. That solves a lot of problems. It Absolutely. solves the need for the third party. It, it's primary function, I think, is to address the security issue. Yes. And again, get me, correct me if I'm wrong on this, in, in the healthcare space, yes. um, it allows the actual healthcare record data to remain decentralized because the ledger makes references to the location of everything. 
Right. That- and so there's, uh, you're absolutely correct because, you know, if you have a decentralized health record where the individual to whom the record belongs owns control of that record, uh, then you don't need, uh, you know, any of the big electronic health record companies or health systems that purchase software from these companies to hoard their data in their data silos. Right. Um, and so this is one of the use cases that a lot of people talk about, the records use case, because it's it's fixing the user experience for patients. Because right now, if you're a patient, you have to pay somewhere between $100 and $500 to get your records. And then when you get your records, you don't know which ones are important. And they're not in good order. And, you exactly. know, the hospital doesn't even really want you to have this. So that's why they make all these barriers. But the law says that these records are yours. Correct. So these... There's a lot of blockchain solutions that are working towards giving individual patients a self-sovereign record where they're in control over it. And there's a lot of blockchain solutions out there that are trying to make solutions for patients. Um, What I'm working on is one of the solutions for physicians. Okay, tell us about it. Yeah, as we know, physicians have been completely disempowered by managed care. Absolutely. We are extremely frustrated with all the bureaucratic nonsense that we have to participate in just in order to reconcile with the insurance companies and just in order to maintain our certifications and our licensing. And so the user experience for physicians really stinks. Especially when you think about the credentialing and, you know, having to credential two, three, four, sometimes five months you know, seven to eleven thousand dollars cost to the health systems, and you know, you know, sometimes ten, twenty hours of your uncompensated time as a physician just to be able to work in a hospital. Why is this? You know, you are the owner of your credentials. This is your professional brand. You went to medical school. You went to residency. You paid all that money. Why is this process so difficult? Why can I transfer a million dollars from one bank account to another in an instant, but it takes four months for this? And the answer is because. The old way of doing things is extremely laborious, and they like to keep it that way because yes. physician credentialing is one way that health systems keep doctors under their thumb. Agreed. If you're not able to move and tell your boss that you quit and easily find another job, then it makes you less likely to be a what they call so-called disruptive physician and step well, right. up and, and then there's the yourself. threat of decredentialing if you don't, you know, behave and or stay in lane. Or sham peer review, which is another or sham peer problem. review, same concept. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, I thought a lot about this, and um, I can tell you the story behind how I came to this idea. Do it. But um, essentially, in order for a patient to have a self-sovereign record, the person creating the record or the entity creating the record also needs to be a self-sovereign entity. It can't be a centralized siloed health system or a centralized siloed EHR um, company. It has to be the individual self-sovereign physician who created that record on the other end. Makes sense. So in order for that to happen, then the patient needs a digital identity. The physician needs a digital identity. And so, you know, when you have a digital identity, you're, um, you own all of the data inside that identity. So our data as physicians includes our credentials. Mm-hmm. So we can have portable, instantaneously portable, transferable credentials attached to our identity, which kind of solves this, you know, uh, employment mobility problem that physicians have. And we can have, and so if we're able to move, we can take our patient records with, them, with us because we created them. Right. So um, the digital identity can also be attached to a governance platform where we can collaborate and convene with our fellow colleagues around shared interests and, um, and you know, 
policies right. and practices. All you have to do is create another block to give your colleague access to the data wherever it is, right? Because the block's just a pointer. Exactly. The block, and this is important, I think, for folks struggling to get their arms around this. And again, I just correct me if I get any of this wrong, but the block contains no medical data. Right. The block so, is just the transaction record that says, I had a chest X-ray, and its memory address in the entire universe is X. The hash function, correct. The hash function. And then that, that's a part of it. That means if I, I can always refer to that block to go find my image. Absolutely. But the image doesn't live in the block. Absolutely. It's okay. too much data to have on, on blockchain. Right. And that's why you know this digital identity solution is a true solution in the blockchain space, one of the few true solutions that exists right now, because how often do we credential? Not very often. And once every so, two years in theory per institution, something right. like that. And so the fact that, and sometimes, like, I, I was working as a locums doctor for nearly 10 years, and so I would credential for three or four places a year. Mm-hmm. But still, that's a slow enough, you know, the blockchain is a very, it's a new technology. It's not as fast as we want it to be. But because credentialing is something that's slow, the technology can support that. How long will it be before blockchain can handle full-blown EMRs with a much faster rate of data creation and... Well, all I know is that there's people working on these solutions now, and they know that they're important things to solve. Um, You know, I was just at Crypto Investor Summit in L.A., and there's some really, really innovative people there working on these solutions because they know. I'm going to pause right here at the moment. We're coming up on station break. We'll pick up on the other side. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchak, your host this week at your service. Thanks very much for being with us. We are continuing to bring to you interviews from DPC 3.0, Direct Primary Care Version 3, from our meeting down in Orlando, Florida last November. We are listening to Dr. Leah Huston, Lee Houston talk about uh, blockchain. Here we go. That, you know, in order to move forward, we need to start paying attention to this. So, if, if, so where physically, right, because docs are fundamentally concrete thinkers in a lot of ways. Yes. 
So where then should, in an ideal blockchain-based healthcare record universe, where does the real data live? Does it live in my EMR server because I have any, like any patient I see, I see them, I create a note, I do an exam, I log all that, I create a note, it sits in my server, which for us, we're not cloud-based because it was too expensive for us, Mm -hmm. we're a big group. So I can go and put my arms around a set of beige boxes running VMware and say, those hard drives have my patient's stuff. Now, in a blockchain world, does that stuff have to move or can the blockchain just point to my server and anybody who is credentialed to access my server to look at my patient's records can do so? How does that work? So I think cloud-based solutions are going to get less expensive over time. And I also think that if you do have a server, and this is me kind of stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone because I'm not a technical person, I'm a physician, but I do, you know, I've been learning a lot about this. So from what I know, you can have less expensive cloud-based solutions, but if you do have a server, you can have your server protected because you need the keyed permission access from your patient in order to access that data. So it's still decentralized. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a less of a point of failure than if a health system has everybody's data. Well, that's too um, rich a target. That's why health information exchanges that were hub and spoke where if you remember you, you cloned all your data into the parent server, I thought was the dumbest thing going because... That's like Experian. It's like it's a rich target. Right. And, they, you, know? you know, health systems spend about half as much on um, cybersecurity than the financial industry does. And therefore, they have double the number of attacks. So essentially, you know, patients are trusting their their health data with these, these systems because they assume that HIPAA protects them. But really, it, these systems aren't doing enough uh, to protect their patients' data. And I think, you know, personally, we as physicians, we've always been the best advocates for our patients. So I personally think that we're also the best ones to also protect our patients' private data. Awesome. Along with the patients themselves. I mean, I think that, you know, they also need to, you know, be cognizant of of protecting their own private health information as well. So you don't see any role for patients keeping their own records on a smartphone or anything? People always ask about that. Yeah. I mean, I I do imagine that this, this type of solution will allow for that. Um, once everybody is self-sovereign. I mean, and health systems will also have a digital identity. I mean, hospitals aren't going to go away. Right. Um, but they're no longer going to need to be the ones that have to protect all of this data. And I think really when they think about it, they'll realize that this is a solution that they prefer to have, that they don't want to, they really don't want to be in charge of all this stuff. I mean, they want to be able to sell it, but I personally think that that's wrong. Um, I don't think data poaching of my patients is something that I want. Um, and so... I don't want to have to be forced to share my patient's data and my patient's records just in order to work in a hospital. And I think that patients are starting to wake up and be aware of this this problem as well. And patients don't want, you know, with the recent Facebook and Cambridge Analytica thing, you know, people are starting to be more cognizant that this is happening. Outstanding. Well, it's great to talk to, among all of my guests, probably the closest thing to a kindred spirit I've seen, a physician who's a IT guru. So it's delightful to spend time with you. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Special guest, Leah Houston, MD. Thanks. All right, very good. So concludes our first uh, of the two interviews for today, Dr. Leah Houston. Uh, we're going to move on to Dr. Shenery Cotter. 
and I'm going to blab for a minute while I pull up her material. Um, she is a physician from Florida who um, was pretty much despondent over the state of primary care uh, in her world and was ready to hang it up until she discovered direct primary care at last year's, the 2017 direct primary care meeting. Uh, so we'll see if we can cue this up correctly. Here is her story. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge road trip to Orlando, Florida. Uh, we're transitioning today and the second day of the Direct Primary Care 3.0 meeting. We've talked to a lot of folks who are speakers at the meeting, but you know, in a sense, the most important part is the effect that we have on individual physicians. Uh, the conditions in medicine make it very hard to have a satisfying life in a medical practice. And so I'm delighted to have a guest on the show, um, Shannery Cotter, Dr. Yes. Shannery Cotter. Uh, who is not far away in Gainesville, who has a story to tell about how she was about ready to hang it up uh, in terms of her medical practice until coming to the meeting last year. So, Shenry, please tell us your story. Thank you. So last year I, um, I came to this conference on a scholarship. I was, um, I was really at my wit's end, and I found this on the web. I found the direct primary care idea on the web. I did a little bit of research. I bought Dr. Farrago's book, and uh, somehow ended up finding this probably through his book. Applied for a scholarship and uh, just kind of literally drove down from home, left my husband and my 10-year-old, and I decided, okay, I'm going to get away. I'm going to go to this, this conference by myself, didn't know anybody. And uh, pretty quickly, I was uh, I was struck by being in a room of 250 happy doctors. I think in all of my years, I've been practicing medicine since 1997. I had been to multiple conferences, and I had never been in a room full of physicians who were so happy. So during the conference, at some point, I went out and um, I just sat down on the stairs. We can actually see them from where we're sitting here. And, I was crying, and my husband called, and he said, "Listen, I know you've been really unhappy, and um, you know I've looked at things, I've looked at our finances, and uh, you know we can work it out. You, you can quit. We'll find something else for you to do. We can work it out." And it was, um, it was kind of at that moment that I realized that this amazing gift that I had, this you know ability to practice medicine, the education, all of the hard work, all of my dreams, it really actually could just go away. And I was simultaneously kind of liberated as well as just heartbroken about it. So I came back in and continued to uh, listen to some of the speakers. I cried through. Dr. Julie Gunther was talking about her battle with breast cancer and uh, building her practice. Um, cried through that whole talk. Cried probably through most of the panel discussion. Cried when Dr. Farrago signed my copy of Direct Primary Care. And... Um, but I left that conference with hope and an idea and so much encouragement. There were so many physicians here that actually, they gave me their email. I walked up to Dr. Gunther and just said, thank you so much for everything you said. And she just looked at me and said, wow, you know, what's going on? And talked to me, got my email address. Uh, she emailed me and several other people, Rebecca Bernard um, and her new partner kept in touch with me. Many other people here that just formed real connections. Um, I was also just blown away by how non-proprietary everybody was. They wanted to share 
everything they had. Nobody was kind of holding on to anything as a trade secret or selling me a message. Yeah, selling something, trying to get rich or something. Yeah. So that that encouragement um, made the difference for me. I I, um, have had a wonderful career. I actually did broad-spectrum family medicine training, including um, operative obstetrics. I went up to East Tennessee, practiced in a rural area, full spectrum. We're in East Tennessee, I have to ask. My wife is from there. I was in a little town called Newport. No way. In Cock County. I know. We go through Newport every time we go. Uh, my, my wife is from Greenville. Yes. So we take the, the, the you know, through Parrotsville. And, yes, yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's where I was. Um, practiced um, amazing family medicine. Had a really dynamic career. I was doing OB and operative obstetrics. At one point, we didn't have an obstetrician in the county. and um, It was really exciting. And just over the years... Um, seeing my scope of practice really kind of degraded. Um, big health systems who employ specialists, um, it's really not very lucrative for their family medicine doctors to be doing their own procedures and practicing in broad scope. Uh, they can make a lot more money if my patients are referred to their specialists. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that's one thing. I think there are a lot of things that influence um, needing us to see more patients in order to bill more dollars, which they call RVUs, which is a fancy name for quota. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of just eroded my practice. Uh, it became about numbers and volume and time and um, the EHR. Um, oh, my goodness. MACRA, MIPS, compliance, HIPAA. So what kind of practice setting did you have in Gainesville before you came down to the first meeting? I was an employed physician. I was part-time. Uh, I had uh, I had been able to go part time in order to take care of my family, but um, I was my career kind of transitioned while I was you know raising my kids to filling in gaps. So family medicine trained me really well. I did some hyperbaric medicine. I was an inpatient hospitalist for a while. I did that part time. Um, I taught at the medical school. I was on the admissions committee. So I I've kind of pulled together a lot of different positions to make a part time position. Okay. Yeah. And so then you had your epiphany last year. I did. And then yeah. you went home and did what? I stewed. I stewed. <laughs> I stewed and I pondered and I searched and I joined Facebook groups. and uh, All the while still oh, yeah. practicing in your original <laughs> setting, but stewing, yeah. sure. Yeah. I, you know, I took my, you know, my career really seriously that that liberating call from my husband really allowed me to look at what I was doing and what I wanted and why was I doing it and what was I doing what was I responsible for um, you know did I want to give up medicine it was now an option and so I really looked at that well what would I do if I gave up medicine or maybe if I just traveled and did medical missions or you know so I was I was a little bit liberated but I, at the same time I felt the burden of that decision and that's when I decided I love practicing medicine. I love family medicine. I love doing procedures, seeing children, um, seeing all the family members, spending time with people, making a difference. And I know that the biggest difference gets made, and now evidence is supporting this as well, through relationship. Yes. So I wanted to return to relationship. I wanted to have time to build a relationship with my patients. I wanted them to know me. I wanted them to trust me. I wanted them to know that I cared about them. 
and I wanted them um, to know me. I wanted to know them and their families. So when I kind of returned to that and said, you know, I have a gift, an amazing gift. I have a a gift of my career, but I also have a gift of the ability to connect with people and that that was worth honoring. It was worth um, creating a place where I could be myself. I'm very much driven by my faith as well and the belief that God intensely loves each one of us. And being able to be that person as well as a doctor, like all of me, the whole me, when I engage with patients, no matter where they're from or what their beliefs are, is part of what makes me so effective. Uh, Coming up on the station break, we'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchak, your host for this episode of the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. We continue to bring you interviews from our direct primary care 3.0 meeting in Orlando, Florida. We are listening to the story of one Dr. Shannery Cotter uh, who rescued her practice, uh, quite possibly her own self, uh, by converting to a direct primary care practice. So we continue to listen to her story. Um, it's something only I can be. And now I have a practice where I get to get up and go in and be exactly who I am. And it's a great thing. So you did do a DPC practice. I did. So describe the transition. How so, did you do it? Well, the hardest part was giving my notice. Um, and I will say that, ironically, the hardest part of giving my notice was our family was going to lose our health insurance. So I know, you know, of course, in the direct primary care world, health insurance is a big issue. Huge. Yeah. So for me, it also became a personal issue. So we navigated that. Uh, we navigated that decision. And then um, I had heard um, Delicia Haynes talk at the last... Last um, year. Yeah, the last year's um, meeting here. And one of the things she said, she said um, she thought she needed a change, but what she really needed was a vacation. And so I took her advice. I don't even think she knows I took her advice. She's currently speaking. She's, yeah, she's right. on the side of the wall here up, up front on the right. panel, yes. Yes, but I did. I took a break, and I didn't do anything. I, I cleaned things up at home and did lists that I, that needed to be done for my family. I thought about things. I prayed about things. I researched. I I contacted the people who'd reached out to me at the Docs for Patient Care conference, and um, I, uh, I kind of built my idea. And then uh, the, the main thing I was concerned about was being on call for my patients all the time. So um, I was actually uh, given, I believe given as a gift, a partner. And so uh, in my same town, a woman who was struggling with a lot of the same issues and a mutual f- friend connected us and we talked one time and became business partners. <laughs> I know. It sounds crazy. Not really. No, nothing that you said sounds crazy in the least. 
Um, so how long was that transition? So the time you, from the time you gave your notice, okay. the time that you and the partner opened the DPC doors was how long? Uh, so I gave my notice in um, October. Uh, my last day was January, February. Um, the idea wasn't solidified, I, but I found my partner in April. That's when things got, uh, that's when it got real. Yeah. Uh, because we got, you know, we got a tax ID number. Right. We decided a name. Um, we started looking at real right estate. Space. Yeah. yeah, but so from, from that point, we actually um, got into our office space on um, August the 1st, and we opened for business on September the 4th. Dang, okay. Yeah. So, Roughly six months, mm-hmm. seven months, maybe. Mm-hmm, maybe. Okay, yeah. and so and you've been at it now just a, a yeah, two months. Two months. Yeah, we have two months, and we have a. Uh, our goal was actually the. We were given some information about the industry standard, so we should be happy if we were each if we each enrolled fifteen members a month, and yeah. we would be thrilled if we each enrolled thirty a month. Yes. So our target was sixty patients, and we actually finished the eight weeks with one hundred and forty-four no. members. Yes. That's beautiful. Yes. Did some of your old patients find you? Some of my patients did find me, and they have to. They have to come. You know, forty-five minute, forty-five minute drive to find me. But yes, some of them and her patients actually sought her out as well, and which wasn't easy because when you change, you know. Well, I'm guessing you know when you leave an employment situation, they're not exactly falling all over themselves to tell people where you are. And then the web information, you know, it takes a long time for Google to find you and yes. Bing to find you. Yeah, right. you can set all that up, but it you takes can. time. For it the, takes time for the search engines to figure it out. Does, but they found us. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's a really inspiring story. Thank so, you. So, so what would you tell someone who was where you were a year ago? and is sitting out on the steps having their moment, what would you go tell them? Well, that individual, I would do the same thing that others here at this conference did for me. I would go sit down and say exactly what Dr. Gunther said to me. I'd say, tell me what's going on. And then I would, you know, I can't, you notice this whole time, I'm smiling the whole time. I'm just yes, so happy are. about it. Yeah, yes, you I'm are. just like so happy about this. Yeah. You know, I would share my story and say, you know, I'm, I'm practicing, you know, I don't do OB yet, but I'm practicing otherwise full scope family medicine. I have about 20% of my practices pediatrics. I did three really exciting procedures last week. You know, I have a viable financial uh, practice, you know, we're, we're probably only a couple of months away from paying our bills. Now, that doesn't include paying the debt or paying a salary, but no, I would but just give them cash hope. flowing. I mean, if you're cash yes. flowing in 90 days, yes. that is huge. Yes, yes. So that was the, that would be what I would share. Um, but I think more importantly, I would want to, I would want to find that person before they get to that point and say, here's, here's what can happen. Here's what your career can be like. You don't have to make the same mistakes that we are all making um, by joining what I call, my term for it now is industry health. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding. Anything else you want to share? No, I think okay. that's it, yeah. Just Dr. Shannery Cotter, thank, thank you so much for being in the doctor's lounge. Thank you. Outstanding. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard this interview a couple of times. I've obviously got it as a file stored on my desktop. And, uh, and I never get tired of hearing it. I mean, this is, this is a huge deal. When you consider the rate at which doctors are leaving 
the practice of medicine. When you consider the pressure on primary docs is greater than the pressure on docs of all other types, um, to hear a story like this and to hear, you know, what the, the power of direct primary care to literally not only rescue a soul, uh, from, from what they, you know, to, to allow them to continue their life's vocation, but think of all the patients that are saved as well because you're now putting one more competent doctor out there that was going to leave. Uh, and, you know, we as docs in medicine, we, we know, and docs in the audience, you know, uh, those who view who aren't docs need to know that the most powerful stories that are out there are the one-at-a-time stories. And this is a big deal because this is the antithesis of the corporatization, the pasteurization, sterilization, homogenization of medicine, the depersonalization of medicine is in effect the conversion of individual stories that warm the heart or break the heart depending on the story and mix those all up into a pot and come up with numbers. Right. What was it that uh, – I forget who it was. I'm doing this off the top of my head. What did Stalin say? A single death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. And so we can apply that here as well and say that, yes, uh, you know, a, a, single, a loss of a single dock is a, is a tragedy. The, the rescuing of a single dock is a miracle. Uh, and it is in the individual stories where the power lies, where the lessons lie. And, uh, again, this is the antithesis of, of big data that, that takes away all the names and de-identifies all the data and mishmashes it up. Not that there isn't something to be learned by doing that. Uh, but there is also something that is lost when you do that. And I think stories like this demonstrate this very, very well. We've got about, what, four and a half minutes left in this segment. Uh, I'm going to pull a dirty trick on our president, Dr. Lee Gross, and I'm going to tee up his interview and just play enough of that to fill the third segment and then we will go from there. So uh, I'm going to let uh, Lee talk the rest of the time. Here we go. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. We are on the road again. We've moved from our hometown of uh, Atlanta. I forgot it for a minute there. I'm getting a little tired. Yes, Atlanta. It's been a long day. Uh, to Orlando, close to Dr. Gross's stomping ground here, or at least a little closer than we usually are. So, uh, you know, here we are sitting at the end of the day here at the first day of uh, DPC 3.0, our third annual Docs for Patient Care Foundation, Physicians Foundation supported meeting on direct primary care. So we're sitting here at the end of the day. Lee and I are pretty much at the end of our energy reserves, but we're going to try to bring you something worth listening to. And you know, Lee's always got neat stuff to say. So fortunately, he's got more work to do than I do here. But tell us how it's going. No, it's been an exciting day. I mean, I'm not sure if you filled in the the number of guests, but we definitely broken a record for us. Uh, you know, we're we're approaching you know approximately 400 people at this conference this year, which is way up from the first uh, the first year, and, and certainly up from last year. Uh, we have uh, lots of vendors this year, lots of support, and uh, the the energy is is palpable this year. I mean, you can see so much excitement, so much enthusiasm, and you know, one of the things that that I notice about this particular conference here is if you go to any medical conference nowadays, you just it, it's like you go to a funeral. I mean, it, it's People are so upset. They, first of all, they don't even want to be there because they're learning about, you know, some sort of 
garbage coating that that doesn't yeah. improve their lives. It just Im- improves the 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 company's bottom line that they're working for, and it's just more work and more burden. And and so, but you come here, and these people are just they're rejuvenated, they're they're energized, and they are hopeful for the future. And so. You know, you look at these conferences and they're geared towards physician burnout. And we're going to hold yoga sessions to teach you how to manage your stress better. How many times we heard that? But, you know, yeah. although we did have a little yoga session here for about five minutes by uh, Dr. Rip Hollister of the Physicians Foundation, he, he ran an invigorating yoga session for us for everyone yeah, to I think, I think Rip Hollister ripped my hamstring. <laughs> I think I know why they call him Rip now. <laughs> that's, why, that's why he got his name. Uh, so yeah, so you know, but the but the excitement, the enthusiasm, seeing these people engaged and, and happy, happy doctors. Um, I, I, I see hope for the future. I see re-energization. I just met a doctor here from Bermuda. Came here from Bermuda. He's a direct primary care physician in, in there, and, and he decided he's going to come here and and learn a little bit more from us and. and feed off our energies. I'm hoping we can talk to him, too, and get his story on the air, because it sounds like it's going to be a good one. But, uh, yeah, Lee, I'll tell you, I I agree with everything that you said. The energy level is palpable. The crowds are larger. And uh, I think we beat last year's total was a mid-twos, wasn't it? So we're looking at at least a 30% increase, if not pushing mid-40s, in terms of how many more people are here. Both vendors, attendees. Yeah, so so not only did are the volumes higher but you know we sold out our our scholarship tickets in 72 hours that's uh, a, a delightful shock and, yes. and to think that we sold out our tickets bef- uh, for a speaker event before we even put out a speaker list um, I, I think says a lot for the enthusiasm and the content and we'll, we'll tweet our own horn a little bit and it says a lot for for the the type of content that we as an organization put forward so, you know, to, to have pe- people sign up and be willing to travel across the country to hear speakers um, that they don't even know who they are uh, is a pretty well, big I think it, it speaks a lot to the reputation of the meeting, which to build it up that much in two years is pretty remarkable. It is. It's really exciting. So we are looking forward to, uh, to day number two. Okay, I'm going to cut Dr. Lee off here about midstream. We're uh, done with the segment. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is Dr. Mike Karuchak, your host for today's show on America's Web Radio. Thanks very much for listening today. Uh, We are delighted to announce this is the end of the era of holiday Doctor's Lounge repeat radio shows. We have a new series of shows to fill up the late winter and early spring which will highlight the guests and speakers from our recent 
Docs for Patient Care direct primary care meeting that we held in Orlando last November. Uh, we'll be starting off um, with uh, some of the uh, the giants that you've heard uh, before in uh, direct primary care, Dr. Chad Savage, uh, Josh Umber, and uh, founder of the Oklahoma Surgery Center, Dr. Keith Smith, um, other folks you've heard before, uh, Dr. James Pinckney, uh, a, a great story from a new guest, uh, one Dr. Henry Dowling, who hails from Bermuda, who started a direct primary care practice and came to our meeting last year. Uh, you're also going to hear uh, some very interesting stories from attendees that have come to the meeting, uh, including one um, physician who had just about decided to give up. Uh, she was tired of medicine and finally, instead of giving up, came to our meeting in 2017 and based on what she heard, decided to turn her practice around uh, and start a direct primary care practice and is much happier for it uh, and is presumably a better physician for uh, being much happier. We will begin the series today with a series of interviews from board members from the Physicians Foundation. And you've heard us talk about the Physicians Foundation before. They have uh, given us undying support for the past several years. Uh, we are extremely grateful to them. And uh, we will hear their take on direct primary care on our meeting. And, uh, and you know, we will give them some attention uh, first and foremost. So we'll get right to uh, these interviews. Uh, you understand that uh, we'll stop these interviews right at the station breaks at 13 minutes and 26 and the end of the third quarter and fourth and uh, just resume after the break. No fancy post-production uh, capability here. Uh, so let's get right to those now. We'll start with Dr. Tim Norbeck, followed by Dr. Gary Price, and last but not least, Dr. Rip Hollinger. Primary care meeting where you can learn all things about how to build your direct primary care practice, how to grow it. Uh, we're having great success at the meeting, and we're delighted to have in the doctor's lounge studio Tim Norbeck, who is the chief executive officer of the Physicians Foundation, who is vital to the existence uh, and the success of this meeting. And uh, before I even give you a chance to talk, I have to say thank you a thousand times uh, to you and the Physicians Foundation for supporting this meeting. Uh, and uh, we're so glad that you're here and so grateful. Uh, so tell us what's on your mind. Very kind of you, Mike. Thanks very much, and, and kudos to you for what you do here. I, we're, we're delighted to be here. This confluence of uh, physician uh, builders and innovators and sh movers and shakers, and to see the enthusiasm and the excitement in this crowd is just something I, I don't remember seeing before. Uh, we're delighted to be here. Um, absolutely thrilled to uh, participate and uh, we had a chance to participate in the meeting as well um, we try to do what we can as the physician foundation to empower physicians we do uh, help physicians and leadership uh, type programs we try to uh, help uh, great organizations like the DPC uh, put on conferences for physicians we do a biennial uh, physician survey, which I think is the largest of its kind. We had almost 9,000 respondents. We do it on the even year. We do uh, physician uh, patient surveys on the odd year. So we're we're happy to do that as well. Uh, and I think the results of, of uh, when did the results of the 18 survey come out? Is that done already? It, it or actually came out six weeks ago. Okay. And, and an interesting thing, um, we give physicians a list of, so it doesn't add up to 100%, but we, we name say 10 issues and how they would rank them and 
and the least satisfying aspect of a physician's practice right now is EHRs, the design and interoperability, um, which surprises us a little bit. That's up, but we also know the tyranny of metrics and all of these things are really uh, upsetting physicians and the time they have with their patients. Um, physicians clearly in every survey we've ever had indicate their greatest love, the reason why they're in the doctor business, if you want to call it, they want to see patients, they want face time with patients, and they want to help patients. Secondly, um, behind the 39% who chose that uh, EHR says the least satisfying part of their practice, 37.5% uh, felt it was the um, insurance regulations, uh, government regulations, insurance requirements. And third, at 37%, was uh, autonomy, uh, loss of physician autonomy. And then we, of course, always ask, malpractice is always on there, and it's always a big issue, and 30% listed that as the number one least satisfying. But uh, we also found some interesting things. We've addressed this at this great DPC uh, conference, burnout, which is a huge issue for everyone to deal with, every physician. I don't think the public and the media has quite grasped how serious it is. Um, we, had 80, we have 78% of our physicians uh, sometimes, uh, often, or always uh, feel burnout. And I think, of course, that's related to the EHRs and insurance requirements, loss of autonomy, those things. Interestingly enough, there's a uh, New York uh, NYU School of Medicine survey of, of a small group, 235 independent physicians um, in, in, who own their own practice, and interestingly enough, the burnout rate for that them was 13.5%. Compare that to our 78% or uh, much more, uh, you know, uh, maybe less than that, but far more than 50% for a lot of other national surveys. It shows you that how much physicians value autonomy, um, and I think the DPC movement uh, is, of course, part of that. One other thing, Mike, if I could mention about our survey, the social determinants. Um, over 87% of physicians had patients who either sometimes, uh, usually, or always had some kind of social determinants uh, uh, were affected by that. And that affects the doctor as well. Uh, by social determinants, I mean uh, poverty, lack of education, um, possibly a drug, a drug addiction, lack of uh, unemployment, all of those things. People don't realize that if somebody comes into a doctor and, and, and gets a prescription and help, uh, that patient may live in a car. He may have no heat. He may be in an apartment with no heat. He may share a bathroom with five or six people. All of those things most people don't, don't think about. Physicians have to. And so many, as I say, over, over 87% of physicians, their patients are affected by social determinants. <laughs> Absolutely, and and that's and, and our last guest. We were talking about uh, physician depression and suicide, which is you know physician suicide rate is four times the rate of the of the national population, and we lose a doctor a day to suicide, which of course is all tangled up in, in everything that's in your survey. Uh, absolutely. We try to capture the mood of physicians. As, as I say, we do it every other year. Um, in the even years, we in the odd years, we do a, a survey, which we just began last year, and we will do in 2019, of, of patients. So we're, we're interested in, in capturing the mood of physicians and patients, and hopefully health policymakers will take note. 
Outstanding. Anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so, Mike, okay. except to say again, I congratulate you personally, uh, uh, all of those involved in the leadership of Docs for Patient Care. What a tremendous meeting this has been and, and, and so exciting for us to be here. Thanks so much. Well, we'd be nowhere without your support. So thanks. Thanks, thanks again, ways. Mike. Thanks Take so care. much. Lounge Road Trip to Orlando, Florida for the third annual Direct Primary Care DPC 3.0 meeting sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and the Physicians Foundation. And I'm delighted to have uh, with the Physicians Foundation, Dr. Gary Price, uh, who is going to give us uh, some impressions of, of the meeting and tell us a bit more about the Physicians Foundation. So as the meeting winds down here, we're kind of in the last couple of hours, um, share your thoughts with us about uh, how you think it's going and uh, the Physicians Foundation's role. Sure, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I guess my initial reaction after spending the last day and a half here with Docs for Patient Care is one of uh, remarkable happiness that such a large group of physicians has found a way to channel a tremendous amount of energy in a positive way to making the system work better for their practices. The Physicians Foundation is very concerned with the environment that physicians have to practice in now and ways to make it better. Uh, There are a lot of things broken with our system, and I'm amazed, uh, first of all, at the large turnout you had for the conference, uh, around 400 physicians, if my count is close. close. Uh, And what's even more amazing is the incredibly consistent passion and energy they've brought to your group and to their ideas about making how physicians and and patients negotiate our system um, just work better for everyone. Indeed. That's been kind of the sentiment that has been uh, expressed by many folks behind the microphone this last couple of days is that most medical meetings are very depressing places to be, especially if there's a legislative talk or a talk about coding or, you know, talks about the things that that aren't directly patient care related. And, uh, And here, quite different, I think. It's been very striking to me that uh, the entire focus of all the conversations and even all the questions are about positive ways to make things better, not uh, reactive ways to cope with a system that's so badly broken, but actually to take on the system and do it in a better way. Well, we couldn't do this meeting without you. Uh, the support of the Physicians Foundation, I just, we couldn't do it. I don't know where we would be, so I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity on the air to thank you and thank the foundation for your support of, of the efforts. Um, tell us a little bit about the foundation and, and, and how what we're doing fits with what you're doing. Well, the Physicians Foundation was founded uh, almost 15 years ago by a large class action settlement from uh, some of the major insurers in the country. And our mission is to empower physicians to deliver high-quality, cost-effective health care. Of course, that's a very broad, large brush. Uh, we're very concerned with the environment that physicians actually perform the work they do and how that environment has really become dysfunctional. So we're interested in all sorts of different ways to make doctors' work easier for them, more efficient, and also more fulfilling. We uh, attempt to accomplish that in a number of ways. Right now we have four major focus areas. Uh, The first would be supporting physicians in in the active practice of medicine. The second would be developing physician leaders for tomorrow. We have several uh, programs with that, including a national leadership academy, and also we support state medical societies in their leadership training. 
the third area uh, we're concerned with is physician wellness, and I think uh, Docs for Patient Care fits into that niche very well uh, because it really offers a a less stressful, more efficient, and also uh, more cost-effective way to take care of patients that brings a physician back to what all physicians really went into medicine to do. Coming up on the break, we'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200 or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 